Okay, this morning we're going to jump back into Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and uh, continue our way through there. We had a bit of a break there for a little while, and then we're going to jump back into Luke and make our way further through. Luke chapter 14 this morning, Luke chapter 14, and uh, we're going to look at the sort of mid portion of that from verse 16 through verse 24. When I was a, a, a kid, uh, my dad at times would travel around preaching and uh, things in, in other churches, and so we'd see a number of churches, and then we'd be in conferences and things like that as a kid. And there were some churches and, and uh, conferences and things we went to that, as uh, the the speaker, the pastor, whoever there was was speaking, you know, if he got onto a, a point that people in the the audience were particularly enthusiastic about, you'd hear "Amen, Amen." Like, yep, you. That's it. I, I agree. I agree. And uh, you could hear it. And sometimes it get quite quite noisy if they were on a, a, a particular topic or role that people were really interested in, or maybe it was a particular hobby horse of of that you know a topic they really liked. And you just hear it is Amen, brother. Amen. And if they really liked it, if it got real good, you'd preach it, preach it. And you knew that you know they were onto something. That that's what you know. I'm, I'm into that. That's uh, you're right. Usually, the reason we're going amen or preach it is because we knew it was for somebody else. They, they, somebody else needs to hear that. You tell them. Keep telling them that until. And this 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 is what why I loved it so much because you'd start like that and it'd be noisy and people would be saying until the preacher or the pastor started getting a little bit close to home and then the place got quiet. No more amens. No more preach it's. Because now he's talking to me, and he's not talking to somebody else. Uh, and I always found that, that interesting, uh, the way it works. And you know, here, as we come to the passage we're at this morning, it's kind of like that to me. I hear it like that. You, uh, and I'll show you what I mean, because we'll read, our passage is going to be from verse 16 through verse 24. But it's really picking up from what we've seen in the previous part. So we're going to start in verse 15. What Jesus has been talking about, uh, he's been invited, the beginning of the chapter, he's been invited to a, a lunch uh, with the rulers of the Pharisees, and they've been talking there about what's going on, and, and Jesus has been trying to get through to them about their pride, because they're thinking that they're going to get to heaven and that they're pleasing God because they've worked for it. And so Jesus has spoken to them, and he's tried to bring it up, and he's told some, some parables here to to show them, but look, it's not those who, who think they deserve it, but rather it's the weak and the lowly, those who, who know they don't deserve it, who come looking for, for God, that find him. So he's talking about humility. But in the process of talking about humility, he uses some, some illustrations about being invited to a banquet. And that's where, after he's told this story about, about being invited to the banquet, you, you may remember the one where... He says, don't go to the head of the table, but wait until you sit at the foot of the table and then be raised up. So humility. And having talked about this banquet, we get to verse 15. And here, one of them sitting at the table there that's with it says, Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. So here, this is the Pharisee going, Amen! Like he's talking about the kingdom. We're going to be at the kingdom. Yes! And, and there, so Jesus knows from this point, because he's the, having told the story that he's told, and then he hears him go, yes, blessed are, we're, we're blessed because we're going to be in the kingdom. 
Jesus knows they missed the point. They have not seen or heard what he was trying to say. So he goes on in verse 16 and he tells another story, another parable. It says this, Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. So we're continuing that supper theme, that that banquet theme of the great kingdom. And sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor, the maimed, and the lame, and the blind. The servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in. My house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. By the time we get there to verse 14, where he changes from the parable to, for I say to you, the amenin is gone. It's quiet in the room now. Uh, And we're going to see why as we go through this. But before we go, let's have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to come to your word, to be blessed by it, encouraged by it, guided by it. We ask that you would use it powerfully within us today, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, here we are. The Pharisees here have clearly missed the point. So Jesus is going to drive that point home further, and he's going to do it, um, in a sense, almost very harshly here. So by the end... Nobody is as excited like they were before about what the kingdom is and going to to come and what they think because he's turned the tables on them. Now, as we read through this story that Jesus gives and we listen to the illustrations he gives, the illustrations that he gives of the, the refusals and all seem quite absurd. And there's a reason for that. Jesus means it to be absurd. If you were there at this time and you listened to this story, you would be certain that Jesus was telling a joke. Because this doesn't make sense. It doesn't, doesn't happen rationally. Nothing, nothing of this is going to happen. And that is how Jesus strikes at the heart of what it is. He tells this absurd story to drive the point home personally of what he intends. Two things happen in this story which would normally never happen. Which is what makes this so absurd and irrational. The first thing that happens is when this rich, influential person invites all of these other people to come to his house, initially, they refuse. That doesn't happen. And we've seen that as we've looked at all these other feasts that the Pharisees have had. If you're a rich and influential person, you invite other rich and influential people to your house so that they'll do the same for you. You don't refuse an invitation like that. But here, the invitation is being refused. The second thing that happens, which never happens, or which is very unlikely to happen in this time, is not only the refusal of this prestigious banquet, but having been refused by those 
to invite the outcast to a banquet. That didn't happen either. The prestigious, if they were refused, which they never were, didn't go out then and invite the outcast of society into their house. So these two things are what seem to never happen in society, and that's what makes this story absurd. But it's also what makes this story so pointed. So I want to look here at a few things that we see in this, this invitation, this great banquet that Jesus speaks of, which points us to the great invitation of Jesus Christ to his great banquet, to his kingdom. And so the first thing we're going to look at this morning is God's gracious invitation. His gracious invitation. As we begin the story and we see there's a certain man there in verse 16, made a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited come for all things are now ready. What we find about this banquet thing is the call here is that all things are ready. Everything is ready. Now, when we're talking about, remember, he's talking about them, about what it is to be in the kingdom of God, to be accepted by God, what it means for that. And so here, as they're thinking about the kingdom and and how to get into the kingdom, what they're also thinking is the great promise. The kingdom had a promise which was to come. The great theme of the Old Testament is the promise of the Messiah and of his coming kingdom. That's what they longed for. That's what they looked for and waited for was this Messiah who would come and and bring salvation, who would rescue them and who would establish the kingdom and fulfill all the promises that God had made to his people, Israel. But it goes beyond that. See, from from the very moment, from the first moment that mankind fell into sin in the Garden of Eden, when we... We chose to feed our own desires over loving God first and obeying him first. And we fell into sin. From that very moment, from the very beginning, when everything was lost, God was promising a way back. So God had been promising a way back all along. This was the promise that was to come, that there would be a savior, that there would be a, a restorer, that... that So everything from that moment, from the moment in the beginning when we fell into sin, all the way until this point in Scripture, everything there is expanding on that promise, helping us understand what he meant when he said that there was a Redeemer coming and moving us closer and closer to it. The promise of a restorer and an eternal kingdom. The promise bound up in this great promise was the reversal of our loss into bounty. So when we fell into sin, we lost everything. And the promise was not only would he reverse that loss, but bring us into bounty, abundance, joy. In Hebrews chapter 11, um, a a chapter that many of us will know as that chapter of faith. It speaks so much of, of the people of faith. But there in in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13, it said, These all died, and, and that referring to who it's spoken of before, Moses and Abraham and, and Noah uh, beforehand in here, it says, But these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. 
And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They looked forward to this promise. They hadn't seen it, but they looked forward to the promise that was to come. It was the, 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 the hope of God's people. It is what they longed for. It is what they lived for. And here, that promise was to come. Now, in the story that Jesus gives us here, as he's telling us about this, he says not only was there a promise to come, but he says it's now ready. It's ready now. So here, as Jesus stands there and he tells this story of what it is to be in God's kingdom, to to be part of God's kingdom and to enjoy his favor, he is saying to them, the preparation time is over. It's ready now. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And Jesus came. All the preparations are finished. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. That is, at the right time, when everything was prepared, when all the preparations were done, when the time was right, he sent Jesus. Simeon says the same thing in his prayer. We have now seen, my eyes have seen your promise. It's no longer promise. It's no longer future. It's ready now. Jesus is here to fulfill God's promise. The Jews were looking at God's answer. They were looking at fulfilled promise, salvation is here and so the the verse tells us Jesus tells us because all things are ready come come now with the fulfillment in Jesus everything is ready and we're called to believe in him not waiting anymore he is is there the promise finds its great fulfillment and he is inviting you to know God's promise everything for our salvation is prepared everything that god had promised in the old testament on its way up that there would be a redeemer that there would be forgiveness that there would be peace that there would be joy that there is a kingdom coming that god is going to make everything that went wrong right again is now standing right in front of them in jesus christ it is ready do we need a substitute for our sin it's ready jesus is there For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Do we need forgiveness? Yes, we do. Forgiveness is ready. It's there. Therefore, it says in Acts 13, Let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, that is Jesus, is preached to you forgiveness of sins. Do we need peace? Peace is ready. He came to bring peace. Or the power to live godly. Is here. The time of waiting is over. Every promise that was made is fulfilled now in Jesus Christ. All things are ready. And being that all things are ready, 
we look through the story to see what takes place and how it unfolds, we find that all peoples are invited. The story begins, and his parable begins with, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. The many that are referred to there at the beginning is Israel. They are the ones who received the first invitation. Now, traditionally, they understood how this went. We were in a different society now, so traditionally, here's how a banquet would go. You would send out the first invitation. So you'd send out and say, give them a general idea. I'm having a banquet some, you know, in about a week or so thereabouts. Be ready. Reserve it on your calendar. You've been invited. And they replied, yes, we're coming. Okay, so we'll keep it free. We'll come. And then after they've done all the preparations and they've got everything ready, then when it's ready and the dinner's on the table, they send out the messengers again say, it's ready. Come on. And then you go and you enjoy the feast. So we have here two invitations. The first invitation here, he says, is sent out to the, the many. So he's sent out to Israel. He sent out an invitation to the promise is coming. I'm preparing everything. Everything is being ready. And they, yes, we believe. The second invitation which comes, which says everything is ready, is Jesus. But here, as they come here to, to the beginning, Israel is invited. They were the first invited. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek. That is, it went to the Jews first, and then it spread through the world. Through Abraham, God made a number of special promises to the people of Israel. And they were to wait for, and they were to look for this coming Messiah. This saviour, this one that would bring the kingdom. They were to believe in him. Look for his promise. They were to proclaim his name throughout the world. They were to give him glory. They were to speak of his salvation and his coming to the world. But Israel wasn't faithful. Most of them didn't believe. Which is why we come to verse 18. It says, but they all with one accord began to make excuses. So here in the scheme of this traditional uh, banquet setting, the first invitation has been sent out. They said, yes, yes. And then Jesus comes. That's the second invitation to say, it's ready. I'm here. All is done. Enjoy. And they said, no, we're not coming. We won't do it. Like the parable, they said yes to the promise. But they said no to the son. While Israel was the first invited, they were not the only invited. You are invited. You are invited to this great banquet, this great feast, this great kingdom which God has, this salvation which God has brought to us. Verse 21 says, so, and this is after the refusals. We'll get to those in just a moment. But verse 21 says, So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, uh, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. The story isn't telling us that Gentiles are a second thought. Like he went to the Jews and the Jews didn't want it, so he went to the Gentiles. That's not part of the story. You know, the Jews were meant to be evangelizing out to the the world anyway 
But what we see here is that this invitation goes out to all. But he, he describes here that the messenger goes out to the poor, and the maimed, and the weak. Why to, to those is he seen to go? Israel refused the invitation here because they thought they deserved to be there. They assumed they were already there because they were the chosen people or they had done all the right things and they had all the right rules. They were proud. And that was the point Jesus was trying to make previously. Your pride and your works are not going to get you into the kingdom of God. They're not going to get you salvation. So he says, it goes out to those in need. To all who recognize they are unworthy. See, this is part of the absurdity of this story. When the messenger goes out to these people, saying a prestigious man is offering you the chance to come to his banquet, every one of them knows this doesn't happen. We're not worthy to be invited there. We're the weak. We're the poor. We're the maimed. We don't deserve that. This invitation Jesus is telling us goes out to those who are unworthy, to those who are unable, to those who know they need grace. This abundance, this blessing of salvation from sin, the invite to enjoy God is sent out to all. Perhaps today you are hearing that invitation to come. One of the other things we find about this story, though, that Jesus tells, some of the other details he brings is, yes, it's all ready. And they've refused, so the invitation is, is spread out to all the world, particularly to those who recognize their need. But then he says, as the, as the servants go out, and they go out and they spread this message, and they invite men, in, and they, they're bringing people into the banquet house, into God's blessing, and into his joy, and into his salvation. We find there in verse 22, and the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. They've gone out and they've gone out into all the streets and all the ways and they've gone out and they've, they've called people to come to this, this great banquet, a banquet which they know they would never have been invited to otherwise. <coughs> and the room is still not full. But the master, Jesus, doesn't say, well, let's start the feast now. He says, you go out until my table is full. You go out until... My room is full. God is gathering his people from the very beginning. God has been gathering his people to himself. People from every age, from every culture, from every society, from every people group. God is calling out a people for himself. People who know they need him. People who recognize their, their need. They recognize that they are unworthy and unable <clears throat> and trusting God's grace. The message goes out today, just as it did then. Come to Jesus. Calling people to come out of destitution and need, that is our sin, and to enjoy the bounty of his forgiveness. 
The great banquet of God is a diverse gathering, but it is one people. There is still room. And perhaps this is the message you need to hear this morning, that there is still room for you. Today's message that salvation is ready goes out. The messengers continue to proclaim because there is still room in God's house. There is still room at his banquet table. Heaven isn't full yet. And all of God's people have not yet responded to his call. Jesus came to fulfill the promise that God made that he would rescue from sin and death. And he is inviting you today to forgiveness, to life, to peace, to satisfaction and to joy to an eternal and abundant life. There is a seat for you at his table. He has given us a great invitation. All things are ready. All peoples are invited and there is still room. But here's one of the other difficulties or uglinesses, the absurdities of this, that they decline his invitation. In verse 18, but they all with one accord began to make excuses. And that's exactly what they make. They are excuses. They are not reasons. There is not one valid reason here that is given to avoid this great feast, (coughs) this great banquet. The first said to him in verse 18, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask that you have me excused. The first is, if we can put it this way, the first has something else to see. Something else to see. He's looking for the treasure of this world. This is where the parable takes us to the absurd. It is inconceivable to decline an invitation from a rich, respectable man like this. But here, this second invitation, despite accepting the first, the second invitation is refused, and they are refused with pathetic excuses. And the point of this is the absurdity of it. The the point is the excuses that are given are absurd excuses. Why would you refuse such a glorious offer with such mundane ridiculousness? Why would you turn down an offer like this to go look at a field? Looking for treasure in this world This first is more concerned with his own possessions and his own wealth. He finds this to be more important than the feast with the master. And in doing so, he's looking past the eternal treasures of God. God offers us life eternal, forgiveness from sin, rescue from death and judgment, joy immeasurable in his presence, an inheritance which is eternal and cannot fade away. Yet many decline this invitation to pursue wealth and possessions here on this earth. We are more concerned with what we have or what we can do here than spending time and chasing the glory of what God offers. Our concern is short-sighted. So the first will say this way, that we refuse because we have something else to do. 
The second in verse 19 says, And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. The second will say like this, that we have something else to do. We might say it this way. He's got an oxen. We might say it this way. Look, I bought a car, and now I've got to go test drive it. I mean, that's, it's, you, don't, you don't buy something. You haven't test drove it. You can go out, you test it, and then you buy it. And this is, so he says, now I, I bought these oxen, and now I've got to make sure that they're what I, I bought. It's, it's, a, it's an absurd claim to these people. The claim that his time can be spent more purposefully, more productively, that he has something more important that could be done than going to this bank, banquet. So many people spend their time looking for significant work, looking for a purpose here in this life. I have important things to do now. I can deal with that later, but I have important things to do now. And as we search for this great significance in this life, we miss our great purpose. It's short-sighted because we don't recognize our purpose is greater than this world. Our work is greater than this world. The great purpose of all of mankind, of everyone, no matter who you are, your great purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him. That is what you were created for, every single one of us. And anything you accomplish in this life is empty if it is not in pursuit of that great goal. Something else to see, something else to do. And the third one in verse 20 says, Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. This is the only one which comes even close to being relevant. So I got married and she said I can't come. This is, we'll say it this way, something else to enjoy. The search for pleasure. This is another relationship here. There was no valid reason why being married would keep him from the feast. Not culturally. He had every way to do this. No one wants to deny, and the point is this, we're not, it's not talking about denying the joy we find in other people or other things or the significance we have in other relationships. The problem is here is that we're replacing genuine satisfaction with temporary pleasure. I'll find something which, or at least seek something which gives me pleasure now, or which meets a need now, or which I find joy in now, to the expense of the great eternal. We refuse his invitation because we'd rather look for joy elsewhere. And that's the real punch. I would rather find my joy in someone else or something else than in God himself. And so, our last point this morning comes to the response of the master. His response to their rejection. We find here in verse 21, having heard these responses, the servant comes back. So the servant came in verse 21 and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. See, the 
The result here is that we have a personal insult. This is a personal insult. Salvation, what is being offered in Jesus Christ, this great kingdom, to be in his kingdom, to be saved from sin and to enjoy God forever and to live with him in the beauty and the bounty of all that he has, is not about an institution. The rejection here is not just shrugged off. So when they come back and say, oh, the people you invited said they're not going to come, the master doesn't go, oh, well, I'll, I'll just get somebody else or, look, I've got leftovers for weeks. But the rejection that he gets affects him personally. He becomes angry. This is a personal rejection. See, when, when we reject salvation, when we, we push God off, we're, we're not rejecting a system. We're not rejecting a religion or an institution. This is not what salvation is about. It's not what Christianity is about. We're not declining the services of a company so that the the man who goes out and, and calls us in says, oh, well, look, if they don't want my services, that's okay. It's more than that. See, salvation isn't an institution. Salvation is in a person. It's personal. The personal reaction which comes here is because we're rejecting Jesus, a person. We're not rejecting an institution or a system, but a person. And that affects him. It is personal. God has given personally at great personal cost. And he has done so because his desire is to restore us to fellowship with him. To make us part of his family. This is an invitation from his heart. This is personal. And so with this personal insult, with this rejection, he calls his servants, says to compel And so in verse 23, then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. God sends his messengers out. Because this is personal, he puts great effort into the invitation. He doesn't cancel the banquet, but he sends out messengers so that his house can be filled and be what it needs to be. The messengers, probably speaking initially of John the Baptist, Jesus himself, the apostles, and then it continues with us as we're sent out to share the gospel. Sent, send, he sends messengers into every corner of the world. He sends a message out to all those in need of salvation. And he does so with a message of urgency. The messengers, he says, are to go out and to compel them. Strikes us as amazing, really, doesn't it? That with an offer like this, with an offer like the gospel, that you can have your sin forgiven, that you can have eternal and abundant life, that you can enjoy God forever, with the message that the gospel has, the power that the gospel has, it is amazing and striking, isn't it, that people need to be compelled to come. And yet still call is go out and compel 
To compel doesn't mean to bring by force. To compel simply means to go with urgency. To earnestly persuade. To convince. We're sent out not to waste our time. The reason God gives us and what he tells us to do when we preach the gospel and we go out is we're not trying to, to make friends as our main focus. We're not trying to, to do other jobs. Our, our purpose, our main goal, what we are sent out to do with genuine earnestness is to invite people to Christ's banquet. To invite them into his salvation. To his glory. God is calling you to complete satisfaction and salvation. So it ends, verse 24. Now I want you to notice here, and I mentioned this already, I want you to notice the turn of words in verse 24. So, so far, he has told them a parable, and he's talking about a story. They're listening. And then... We turn here in verse 24, and it's no longer a story. He says, for I say to you. So now he's taken this, and he says, this is not about somebody else. This story is not about anybody else. I don't want you to think about anybody else. I don't want you to keep amening like somebody else needs to hear this. He says, this is a message for you. Don't reject his invitation. This isn't just a great story. And it's not a story about someone else. This is a story about us. Now it's reasonable that the message, that what Jesus says in verse 24 is a reasonable conclusion. He says, for I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. That's a reasonable conclusion. Of course, if people go, then why would I invite them again? And we would probably agree with that until we realize that he's talking to us. He says, if you reject, why am I going to invite you? Don't reject. Rejecting his invitation finds us outside of God's blessing. It finds us under his judgment and devoid of his forgiveness, eternally separated from his love and his goodness. And so the call is, don't reject. Don't put it off for silly things, ridiculous and absurd reasons. But come and enjoy his banquet. Jesus calls us to come, to take his offer of forgiveness of sin, to taste the goodness of his bounty. For those that come to Jesus, the future is very different to those that choose to reject. There is a small description in Revelation of what takes place in the future for those who come at his call. Revelation 19 and verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. It's the sound of many waters and it's the sound of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. 
And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant. You're to reject excludes us from his goodness and from his grace and from his joy and puts us into condemnation. But to come and to accept his invitation finds us at a place of honor at his table. Joy eternal, forgiveness of sin. Today, God is calling. And I understand who's here, but I would be remiss not to say that maybe maybe today it's you he is calling to forsake your sin and to follow him. Don't refuse him because you have other things to chase. Nothing will satisfy you. On your seat is an invitation, or at least one near you. Is it? chance to respond if needed if you're ready to accept Christ as saviour there is a box on that card to tick and say I want to know Jesus Christ I want to be invited to his banquet can you tell me more put it in the offering bag with your details and you can see me or I will see you and we will show you how you can be invited to his banquet and know his forgiveness or maybe you want to know more I don't know yet, but I want to know more. Put that there and and we can talk. Maybe there's something else that's come to your mind. Maybe you're a believer and you think, well, I haven't been going into the highways and the byways and I haven't been been urgent about it. Will you pray with me about that? If there's something else, then you can put it on there and we can pray together or we can talk over what that is. See, Christian, you know the bounty of God's grace. Now go out into the highways and the byways into the ends of the earth and persuade people to believe do you need help do you need encouragement do you need direction in that well then we can help you with that let's go earnestly and passionately into a world that desperately needs what Jesus is calling us to let's pray Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its great call. How you can take these pictures and you can bring them pointedly into our hearts and direct our attention to see the great glory of what you offer. Dear God, as we gather together here today as your people who have known your blessing, who have found our seat at your table and who know the glories of your goodness and your grace. Dear God, help us to go out with earnestness, with genuine compassion and passion to proclaim your invitation to salvation that others may find the beauty and the glory of what you offer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.